The fam, Jude. Cut the comedy. The Family Podcast with co-host Catherine Brandt, Hackmaster, Raptor of Ashram MD, Andy Brandt Bernard, and Cassie Schrader. It's Tom Bernard. We'll be right back. Kick off hour two of the Family. Where's the manager? Walzer Automotive presents Car Selling Secrets. Join me, Tom Bernard, and Doug Sprinthal as we talk cars, how to buy them, how to lease them, how to make the most of your money, and much more. What's it going to take to earn your business right now? Tune in every Thursday from 2 to 3 Central or download it on the Tom Bernard Podcast page. I don't know. I think I'm going to have to think about it. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, One of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, pointed out yesterday on the family podcast, we were at Disney World over the weekend for your mom's birthday, and Fawny was having a great time. Actually, let's bring Josh Gates into the conversation. Josh, how are you? I'm doing great. How you doing? Marvelously well. I'll just tell a very quick story here. We were at Disney World over the weekend, and they're opening the Star Wars exhibit, uh, I don't know, sometime soon. I don't know when it is, but it's pretty soon. Yeah, soon. And uh, we were told while there that if they, uh, all the people that have made reservations to go to the Star Wars exhibit, if they had to stand in line to get in, the line would be 200 miles long. God. God. Isn't that crazy? That is unbelievable. God. 200, it would go from the gates of, uh, or the, the, I should say, the entry to the Star Wars exhibit all the way to the Georgia state line from Orlando. Unbelievable. That, that is so amazing that that's uh, the case. But Star Wars, very, very popular. Obviously, Disney World, very, very popular. Legendary location. I suppose Disney World would be a legendary location in, in its own way, I, I would imagine. Right? Sure. Legendary. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, it's legendary in a different way. Adventure and explorer Josh Gates' Expedition Unknown pursues the unexpected stories behind fabled places around the globe and the return of Travel Channel's legendary locations, premiering today, tonight, as a matter of fact, at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 o'clock Central, of course, with 13 all-new episodes expanding into an hour-long format for the show's second season. Gates showcases the surprising stories behind locations brimming with mythic histories, surprising backstories, and newly uncovered secrets. Uh, first of all, love love the show, love Travel Channel. It's it's great stuff. We really, really enjoy it as a family. I know that. Catherine and I love watching the Travel Channel. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. No, it's absolutely true. So what's going on this year? 
Well, uh, on Legendary Locations, we've got a whole bunch of new stories. You know, these are really the stories of places, uh, either places that you think you know that have kind of secret histories and, and, and different legendary backgrounds that maybe you didn't know about, or really fascinating, beautiful, terrifying places in the world that maybe you've never heard of. So uh, it's really kind of an atlas show. You know, it really takes viewers around the world to some of the most fascinating places that I've encountered on my journeys. And then that happens... Um, that happens uh, on Travel Channel, and then over on Discovery Channel, we're coming back with an all-new season of Expedition Unknown, and, uh, wow. and that is why I am coming to you tonight from, from uh, the deserts of Egypt. I'm coming to you from the Sahara Desert tonight. Really? Uh, by the way, Josh, yep. I should point out you've been on you've been on the show so far for about two minutes and thirty five seconds. I've gotten three emails from people saying now I have a new show to watch. So you're doing pretty well on the show so far. <laughs> <laughs> you're averaging more than one well, person a minute, that. so that's, that's good. Great. It is a good thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. How how do you, how did you get involved with all of this in the first place? It's got to be. Is it a dream job for you? It's got to be. I would think. It is a dream job. I mean, I, I'm literally, if I could paint a picture for you, I'm standing right now in the middle of this vast desert and in this kind of Moroccan-looking tents and camp. And this occurs up on a ridge at an archaeological site. I mean, I feel like I'm on a movie set from Indiana Jones right now. So it, it is a dream. It is a privilege to be able to travel the world. And to bring these stories and these locations to our viewers, it's a huge thrill. Yeah, I could see that. Now, where did you grow up? I grew up uh, in a small town in Massachusetts, which nobody had ever heard of until a few years ago when they made the most depressing movie of all time there, a town called Manchester by the Sea. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a small town, uh, and, um, and, uh, which was made into a very depressing movie with Casey Affleck, which is a great movie, but it's really yep. sad. And so sad. Josh, you're right. When, I got to be honest with you, Josh. When he comes home from the grocery store, it's one of the most depressing yeah. things I've ever seen on yeah. film. It's like, oh my god! Yeah. Hell of a good movie, though. Great acting. Yeah, great acting, oh. great movie. But and, and it looks like a lovely great town. And, uh, and it was filmed in our town. Town, yeah. The town looked pretty. The town looked great. But uh, we were also excited in, in, in my town. We were like, oh my god, they're going to come here. They're going to make this movie. Casey Affleck's going to be in it. They're going to name it after our town. We were so excited, and then we all went to see it, and we were like, "Oh no, oh no!" Yeah. No, it was it was great. It was a great movie, it really was. So was this one of these? Look, I, I guess you have to go inside my own head and say the first time. I don't know if I was in first, second, third grade, something like that. I, I looked into a world history book, and I saw these sphinxes and pyramids and the, the Tower of London and all these different sites in, in Asia. And I thought, my God, we don't have any of that stuff where I grew up in Minnesota. Why, don't, why do they get all this stuff and we don't get any of it? And it kind of piqued my interest to the point where I, do, I love shows like yours. Because, uh, you know, I do two radio shows. I do a morning show and an afternoon show, so therefore I don't get to travel a whole lot. But uh, through your eyes, I get to see everything, which is terrific. I, I love that. Well, that's great. And that's, that's really our goal, is to, is to take viewers around the world to these amazing places. And, and what we're really doing here is we're, we're here in Egypt because on Sunday night, uh, we're doing something that we have never attempted before. Uh, we are going to do a live episode of Expedition Unknown on Sunday night. On oh, did we lose him? Uh, I guess on live TV. There, oh, there you are. Oh, Sorry. you do it on live. So, so I'm here. In the season premiere. Yeah, a good. Yeah, you kind of dropped off for about five seconds there. Not a big deal. Sorry. Um, the, in the this, uh, hashtag, no, no. hashtag Sahara Desert. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah. So no. So we're going to be doing uh, Sunday night. Sunday night, we're going to be doing a live uh, episode of Expedition Unknown for the first time ever on Discovery Channel. We're going to be opening an Egyptian sarcophagus from an Egyptian tomb on live TV. Ooh. Oh man. How great is that? I mean, you're going to be right there. That's Like I said, this whole thing's got to be a dream come true for you because that, that would be something I think just about everybody I know would like to stand there and, and be present for, I would think. That's fascinating. And that's, yeah, and that's, and that's really why we're trying to do it live is that you know, the show is really about taking viewers on an adventure, and this is like the ultimate version of that. We're going to have cameras in these tombs with us. We're going to haul this sarcophagus, open this lid, and, and show that live to our who or what is going to be inside? It's going to be one of those great mysteries where we um, where we don't know what's going to happen. So, what if you open it, open the sarcophagus, and it's Rodney Dangerfield? What do you think? <laughs> well, that 
That would be exciting. I think I'd make the front page of the New York Times. <laughs> I think you Very would, Josh. I think you're absolutely right. Wouldn't it be the greatest they take the, the lid off, off the cert? That would be a major find. No, that's where he went. Okay. Now, it does say in the season premiere, Josh Gates explores both the natural and the supernatural. He examines an ancient cathedral made entirely of salt and buried 20 stories beneath the streets uh, of, what is it, Walexa? Is that how you say it? In, uh, Waliska? I don't know how you say that. Valicha, Valicha, yeah. yeah. Valicha? Valicha. So, yeah. so uh, the supernatural. What, so let me get this right. Uh, the way I'm reading it, this, this cathedral made of salt is, is 20 stories beneath the street? Yeah, there's basically a huge salt mine there, um, and and the workers that work down in those mines hauling out salt built uh, cathedrals and, and, you know, shrines underground out of salt, basically, you know, carved out of the solid rock. And so uh, it's a crazy place. It's a, it's a really cool uh, story, and that's part of the Legendary Locations premiere. Um, and it's, uh, it's a really one of these one-of-a-kind places that a lot of folks, myself included, you know, didn't really know much about. No, I got to. I got to be honest with you. The next thing I'm about to bring up, you and I will have this in common once you go through it, because I went to Catholic school, so I have uh, I have run into uh, basically a, a nun under demonic possession, who got so mad at me she started screaming at the top. I thought she was possessed by the devil. I'll tell you that. But uh, yeah, in Sicily, believed uh, a, a mysterious symbol in Sicily believed to be written by a nun under demonic possession. What's that all? Because I did grow up Catholic, Josh. So it's kind of. You know, it's I'm not the great, most religious guy in yeah, the world. Yeah, it's, no. it's a great... <laughs> now, it's another story about an ancient document that was written by a nun in a, in a monastery that's written in this sort of cryptic code, and nobody's been able to decipher what it means. And she claimed that she was possessed by the devil, and so it's this, it's this historic document that's covered in these strange symbols that people have spent a lot of energy uh, and time trying to decode to see if it's just gibberish or whether it could message from the great beyond. God, you know, see, that stuff would be so, whether you believe it or not, it's still extremely fascinating that, let's say you didn't believe any of it, but some people did, and therefore this is an interesting study. So that, that's the great part of it for me. You wouldn't even have to believe it or, or you know, maybe you do or maybe whatever the situation is. It's still fascinating what you're finding, no question. Absolutely, absolutely. God, the whole idea, I just, you know, just to be able to get, how, how are you on the road constantly with this job? Yeah, you know, Legendary Locations doesn't take me on the road as much. We film a lot of that um, right, in, a, right. in kind of a studio space. But Expedition Unknown um, on Discovery, that, that really keeps me busy. So um, as I said, I'm coming to Egypt tonight, and I spend about, you know, between 200 and 250 days a year on the road. So it's a, it's a demanding schedule, to say the least. Have you seen every place you've ever wanted to see? I got to believe that most of the places you've wanted to go, you've been now. I would guess. Yeah, you know, it's a funny thing about sort of bucket list travel. I, I sort of thought at the beginning of my career, okay, I'm going to be a professional traveler. I'm going to check all these things off my list. But really, the more you travel, the more you learn about all these great places you never knew about. And so my list just kind of keeps getting longer. So no, I mean, there's so many places I have never been that I'd love to go. I've never been to Sri Lanka. I've always wanted to go to some of the islands out in the Indian Ocean like the Maldives and the Seychelles. I've never been to, yeah. to Croatia or, or Serbia. So, you know, there's all sorts of places. It's, it's, a, it's a big world. For all the travel I've done, I feel like I've only really scratched the surface of it. You know what amazes me, Josh, and it's kind of disappointing in a way, and I, I, I know this only because I'm told uh, by, by students and some teachers that not only do we not teach world history much in our, our schools anymore, we don't teach American history that much either. I think that is a huge mistake, to tell you the truth, Josh, because just what you're talking I never knew there was a, 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 a cathedral made of entirely assault 20 stories behind uh, sure. a city in Poland. I never knew any of the, the, the demonic possession of the nun with the symbol. I, why don't we teach these things? That would, it would seem to me to catch children's attention, and they could really learn something about the world. I mean, if I were 12 years old and you told me this stuff, I'd be so fascinated, I, I, I would wake up at night thinking about it. Why don't they teach these things? Totally. Yeah, it, it, it is. I, I know, and, and it's amazing. I mean, one of the things that we've been talking about a little bit over here in Egypt for this live show is people have a real fascination with Egypt. Like, most kids know the yeah. pyramids and the Sphinx and King Tut and things like that. So, you know, it's like people are interested in this material, but we don't really teach very much about it. So, you know, if you look at the United States, right, our country is 
is 243 years old, something like that, right? Just, yeah, I think that's yeah, right, 243. Yep. Egypt, mm-hmm. Egypt went on, ancient Egypt went on for 3,000 years. You know, this was a huge <laughs> empire, this incredible culture that went on for millennia, and, and there's an amazing history here that, that most of us just don't know. Yeah, and I think children these days, certainly millennials on down, I don't think they know anything about it because we just don't teach world history any longer. I, I don't really understand why uh, they spend some I, I don't know what they're spending their time on, but it seems to me that if you fascinate the children, they're going to have this great hunger to learn. They want to learn everything. If they learn this, man, this is fascinating. I loved learning this. Maybe I'll learn other things. It, it would seem to me that they would drive children by using this kind of uh, uh, this kind of information in these kinds of places. It, it would help children learn, I would think. You know, I mean, look, one of the things that we try to do on, on Legendary and certainly trying to do here in this live show is to get people excited about uh, history, about exploration, and about these amazing stories. And so... Um, that's a real privilege to be able to, to go around the world and try to tell these great stories and you get people excited about it. And I think that, I think that people are hungry to learn and to, and to know more about this stuff. It's just mm-hmm. something that, that um, has to be presented in a way that's exciting and interesting. And so that's what we're hoping to do out here. And so I, I hope that folks uh, tune in for, for Legendary Locations. Of course, it's going to be a great season. And that they tune in on sure. Sunday night to Discovery for what I think is going to be a really, really cool evening. Okay, so that's Sunday night on Discovery Channel. And the name of the show again is? Night on Discovery Channel, and it's going to be live to both coasts. So it's going to be 8 p.m. Uh, on the West Coast. It's going to be broadcast to about 100 countries around the world as well. And uh, we're going to be investigating this, this ancient Egyptian tomb, and we're going to be taking the viewer with us. Anybody who watches is going to be in the same boat that I'm in. We're not going to know where we're going or what we're going to find. It's going to be, it's going to be seriously a thrilling night. So 8 o'clock uh, uh, Pacific and Eastern Time, 7 o'clock Central Time. Uh, uh, yeah, so, so basically it's going to be, what What would that be, 6 o'clock then Mountain Time? Something like that? I think so. No, it's live across the country, so it's, it's 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. Oh, okay, okay. I wanted to make sure of that. I, I misheard you initially. I think the the, uh, the phone went bad. But I really appreciate you, you know, this uh, calling in from Egypt. I don't think anybody's ever called us from Egypt before, so you're, you're the first, Josh, and I appreciate your time today. Fascinating subjects. I'm going to send you the phone bill. Is that okay? Not, not a problem. <laughs> not, a, not a problem at all. Hey, by the way, if you open the sarcophagus and it is Rodney Dangerfield, call me back, will you? <laughs> You'll be the first. You'll be the first person I call. Thanks for the time tonight. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Josh. Josh Gates, ladies and gentlemen. What a fascinating story. We'll talk more about it right after this with the family. It's Tom Bernard with CEO Michael Bilski from North American Banking Company. Michael, we spent some time talking about your free app and money transfer service, XCheck, which is just great, by the way. You can transfer money to your kid to travel home from college and lots of other uses. I got wind of another service you provide at North American Banking Company. What's this Super ID I've been hearing about? Great question, Tommy. Super ID uses your face proof and your finger proof to keep your identity and your money secure. It's really a foolproof way to protect your family and your business from identity fraud. It's simple, fast, and oh, the best part is that it's free to our customers. Super ID, super easy, and super secure. Visit nabanco.com or see my personal banker to get the scoop on XCheck and Super ID. North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC and an equal housing lender. Tom here. Over the years, you've heard me go on and on about my eyes and how great I've been treated by the folks over at Whiting Clinic. Well, it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States and the trusted LASIK provider around these parts. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts that they are, They want to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. For a limited time, mention my name and receive an additional $300 off your LASIK. That's $300 off Whiting Clinic's already low price for LASIK. Trust your eyes to Twin Cities LASIK experts. Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. Visit whitingclinic.com or call 855-554-2020 and don't forget to tell them Tom sent you. Offer expires March 31st, 2019. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offers. 
Oh, really? <laughs> Walk like an Egyptian. Love this song. Catherine and Alex used to go through the house dancing to this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this is one of Andy's Andy Oki songs. Andy Oki. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's right. You sing along with Dave and I coined that phrase, Andy Oki. So we try and find Andy Oki. Yeah. Because he sings along. Yeah. That is wonderful. Right back to his squeaky, I see. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, he's back there squeaking. I made the, the mistake door. of one time giving him a bone to chew on, you know, like one of those dental things. Yeah. When we were doing the podcast, because he was being so annoying. Oh, so now he expects now, one every time. Oh my God, he he acts so obnoxious, <laughs> and then he brings me into the kitchen and looks up at the counter where they're kept. <laughs> oh, Jude. I haven't given him one in like six weeks, and he's like, "Yeah, she's gonna give me another one." Yep, there it is. Really annoying. This story makes me very, very happy because this is where I played when I was a little kid. I love this story. The scent of fresh paint hung strong in the air Tuesday for the dedication of a new North Commons gym in North Minneapolis. That is the legacy project of the Minneapolis Final Four local organizing committee. The project, a joint effort by Dove Men Care, Target, and the NCAA, was announced a couple of months ago. The formerly scruffy basketball court is shiny and new from the pristine court to the painted mural on the wall that reads attitude, hard work, respect, encouragement, success. A couple hundred community leaders and kids attended the event, at which several speakers gave testimony to the importance of the community center. Among them was Devin George, a Minneapolis native who played in the NBA for 11 seasons after playing basketball at Augsburg University. George, now 38, a businessman, has returned to the community. He said when he was young, he was small and didn't make the prestigious teams, but he would come back to this gym and work hard. Uh, he learned the importance of putting in hard work. He told kids seated on the floor in the front row of the ribbon-cutting ceremony. Then one year he grew and his determination paid off. It's a lesson he still uses. If I fail, I'm coming back. If I fail again, I'm coming back stronger, he said, adding that the kids also need to stay in school. I can't run and jump anymore, but I got an education. It's always going to be there with me. Kate Mortensen, the organizing committee CEO, led the festivities, calling the work transformative refurbishment of this space. Minneapolis Park Superintendent Al Bangora noted that the first park in the city to have a basketball hoop was North Commons in 1908. This is a place where people have always come to celebrate, he said. There's no doubt about that. Mayor Jacob Fry gave high fives to all the kids in the front row as he headed to the podium. North Minneapolis is deserving of a primo facility. North Minneapolis is deserving of excellence, he said, adding that's what was delivered. The NCAA Final Four is the final weekend of March Madness where the two remaining teams in one out of one tournament that began with a 68 uh, one and out tournament. Oh, yeah, two, two remaining teams. There are four remaining teams. What? Is, what? Uh-huh. The NCAA Final Four is the final weekend of March Madness where the two remaining teams and one out. Uh, uh, I don't know what the hell that means. But in any case, thanks for inviting me to my old neighborhood to take part in this. I really appreciate it. Uh, they never invite me to things in North Minneapolis. Isn't that unbelievable? All these other people like Jacob Fry who had nothing to do with it and all these other dopes get to show up. I'd love to go to those things, but they will not invite me to them. So, you know, apparently I don't kiss enough political ass or something like that. Do you think that's what the problem is, Ralph? I think so. I don't think that you fit the template. You don't fit the the, the – you're independent and uh, you're out there uh, you're talking about things that no one wants to talk about and they're very uncomfortable you being around. Yeah, they are. You're absolutely right. It's too bad because I would I would go there in a minute. I'd love to go to those things, but they don't. They never invite me to those. Well, here's the one comment on the story. You want to hear the one comment on the story? Yeah. NCAA feel good community bribe. <laughs> That's the one comment. Yeah, I mean, the, see, the problem is you've politicized this thing. Instead of instead of celebrating the North Side, celebrating North Commons, where I played baseball and basketball and football as a little boy. Uh, I love North Commons Park. Uh, When I was a little, little boy, the Northside Parade was on Plymouth Avenue. And then when I was a little bit older, like a teenager, it was on Golden Valley Road right by North Commons Park. 
uh, people like Mark Rosen grew up a couple of blocks from there and several other people you'd know. I didn't see Mark Rosen's name on this uh, roster either. He grew up in North Minneapolis. So, huh. uh, you know, for, as a little boy, then they, they moved to St. Louis Park. But um, I don't know. It's too bad that they do this kind of thing because I would like to see the people who actually grew up in North Minneapolis. They had one guy there. Devin George was there. But the rest of these people, I've never even heard of these people. Kate Mortensen, Jacob Fry, what the hell he's got to do with North, North Minneapolis, I don't know. How would you know what North Minneapolis is deserving of? And by the way, he said, North Minneapolis is deserving of a primo facility. Oh, is it primo? Primo. <laughs> God, what a loser. No, he's so hip. Well, he should go hit the pipe more often. I don't think he's do, doing smoke enough dope there. He probably should hit the pipe a little harder. What do you think? <laughs> No, it does. It does piss me off, though. That's possible that you say these. That's maybe why they don't invite you. (laughs) Some people might say, hit the pipe, hit the pipe. I think that might be it. So they don't want to hear the truth? Oh, oh, man. See, now this is a great part of it. Willie B. Japser, it says here. I thought his name was Jasper. It says Japser here, though. That's a typo, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Yeah, because his name, I, I think I'm pretty sure his name is Willie Jasper. Uh, the Jasper family. Maybe he's not part of the Jasper family in North Minneapolis. There are a lot of Jaspers in North Minneapolis when I grew up there. But I'll go with Willie B. Japser, who has worked at the North Commons Recreation Center for 29 years, reached for the sky after cutting the ceremonial ribbon during a dedication for the finished uh, Final Four Legacy Project uh, Project Basketball Court at the North Commons Recreation Center. It is a nice thing that young kids can go there and be safe and learn something. It, it is a wonderful place. The 4th of July fireworks used to be there back when I was a little kid. Oh, and by the way, the Northside Parade eventually moved to West Broadway and then just completely went out of business. <laughs> so it went from Plymouth to Golden Valley Road to West Broadway to extinct, which is too bad. You could find a fist fight at the Northside Parade. <laughs> I will say that. You could run into a couple of guys slugging it out. That I, I, would, I would tell you is true. But I, I don't. That guy's name is not Japser. You think? Is there not any it. such name as Japser? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know, but I'm very, very happy for them. I wish I could be there, but I think Ralph is right that I don't toe the line and I don't try to fit in, and therefore they don't care for that. It makes them very, very uncomfortable because they're a bunch of sugar tit candy asses. <laughs> but other than that, that's nice too. What? I'm just being honest. <laughs> No, it is great, though. I'm, great. I'm very happy for the kids. There are a bunch of very young kids here in the picture, and I'm very happy for them because it's a great, as I said, safe place where they feel wanted, and that's what children need, particularly children in neighborhoods like North Minneapolis, right? But sure. all children need it. It's a terrific all, thing. All children need that yes, and appreciate that, regardless of what their background is. That's a, that's a universal No, need. you're absolutely right. It is indeed, and it's, uh, it's terrific. I know that a couple of years ago there was a project also in North Minneapolis and, and – uh, I actually, well, uh, just very quickly, uh, after the, the tornadoes in North Minneapolis, several years ago when, when uh, oh, R.T. Ryback, I guess, was the mayor at the time, the tornado went through North Minneapolis, and Catherine and I reached out and said we would like to get involved in helping the people to rebuild their houses and raising funds because I could raise a lot of money and help. Never even called me back. The mayor never even called me back. Then, when Bricks Market burned down, like the building next door and, and Bricks Market, Bricks Market was a place where that gave my mother credit because she didn't have money to pay for groceries, so they would give her credit and she would eventually pay them. So when that building burned, we reached out and I said, I would love to help rebuild Bricks Market because it was so very special to me because they helped the family out when we needed it. Never called me back again. And that was Betsy Hodges, uh, who was on this show many, many times. Yeah, she was. I don't know what happens to these politicians. But they get their heads straight up their ass at some point, and I don't know why that is. Well, I think most of them, even if they start out as sort of a neutral party to you yeah. know, party politics, I think I think there's just so much pressure within the system mm. to become almost extreme. Yep. That yeah. They they feel well, like they have to. Well, I don't. I don't. No. No. That I don't know. If, uh, well, that doesn't ring true with me because. Even if they're extreme, suppose they're moderate. They say they're moderate, but then all of a sudden they become the extreme liberal. Someone reaching out to help yeah. a community should not negate that. That makes no sense. I agree. No, well, it makes no sense. It makes sense if that person is not 
part of their team, you know, part of their liberal team but or I, extreme was, right, whatever it is. But she was on this show many times and asked me for my endorsement. That part was okay. Well, it's always different when you're getting endorsements, yep. isn't it? Yeah, it is always it's a different. completely different world once they're yeah, elected. You are right about that. So, but let me just tell you something. Whether on this show or the KQ Morning Show, if I had gone on and said, Catherine and I are, uh, have a fund going, we would like to raise money to rebuild a couple of buildings, we would have gotten that money in about one day. It would have taken about a day to replace that building. Because KQ Morning Show listeners and people that listen to this podcast are very generous. They always have been. Why you'd want to turn your back on an automatic rebuild, I don't understand. Because that, by the way, that lot is sitting empty now. There's nothing on that lot now. So why didn't you want to do that? Is is there some way that I could figure out how much money they're skimming uh, if I got involved? (laughs) I mean, is that what it is? Well, I'm just asking. I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying maybe that's a concern they all have. But I I just can't believe that that they get so – they turn a blind eye or turn their back on people who help them get a leg up and and become successful. And why they turn a blind – why they become too good for you to help and to talk to you and and, and really to be involved in the community to return calls to people who want to interview them and talk about things and have a dialogue about stuff. They just – once they're elected – they are untouchable. They are in yeah. there. They lock themselves in the vault, in the Al Capone vault, and that's it. I did find out why Tim Walls uh, basically hasn't responded to requests to be on the KQ Morning Show. Do you see his two latest ideas? No. Oh, yes. Wants yeah. to raise the gas tax by 20 cents, which is about a 70% increase on the gas tax where it is now. Wow. And he also wants to, wants to raise the high le- highest level of state taxes to 14.5%, which would be the highest state tax rate in America. Mm. That's why, in my opinion, he didn't even respond to requests to be on the show. Because I would eventually burn him to the ground for that because he's out of his mind if he thinks that would help the state of Minnesota. Everybody with five cents would leave and move. They would move elsewhere. A lot of them probably across the Wisconsin border. Right? Yep. Any place to get a little bit cheaper. It doesn't doesn't take much for it to push people away from your state. I mean, that's a lot of money. It's a lots and lots and lots of money. No doubt about it. It's too bad. I mean, the whole thing is just, it's its really unfortunate because uh, so much could be done and so much help could be given. I could have reached out to so many people with big names that would have said, I would love to help with that. It would have been done in 24 hours, it would have happened. But they had no interest in even returning the call because maybe they're, like I said, they're too busy counting the pennies that they've collected. I, I don't know what the hell it is. But, they're not, but Maybe it's their ego. They can't take the fact that, Somebody might uh, be able to get a, do a better job than they can do. Yeah, but they don't want to share the credit for any kind of rebuild with anybody else. But they have staffers who can do this. A staffer, they should be able to say, hey, Jim, give a call over there. Uh, uh, Tom wants to help out. Let's get the, get the story on that. Let's see if we can do help work together. I mean, not, not even yeah, have I'd that love to. respect or an email or, a le- or nothing. Yeah, nothing. I got no response at all. But again, with most politicians now, and I will tell you this, I'm not, I, I'm not just talking about local politicians. I'm talking about all of them. The first consideration is how can I make money from this? It's disgusting where we've gotten with our politics in America. It's all about how much money I can make, and then we'll see if we can take care of you after that. Right? Right. And once I'm out of office, how can I make money off of the office I just held? Oh, yeah. What does R.T. Ryback do now? He's in, in charge of some committee, and he makes a ton of dough doing it. I don't, I don't remember what the hell it is. Uh, whatever. Here's another guy, by the way. When he was running for the uh, mayor of Minneapolis, or before he ran, he called into the KQ Morning Show just out of the blue. Hey, Tom, uh, R.T. Ryback's on the phone. He said the guy used to run City Pages. or It wasn't City Pages. It was the Twin Cities Reader, I think. It was the Reader, right, that he ran? Uh, I think so. And all of a sudden, he calls into the KQ Morning Show, even though the Reader always hated the show. And I put him on, and we talked about it, and all of a sudden, oh, RT's running for mayor. I get it now. You people are very disingenuous and just disgusting, if you want my true opinion. See, maybe that's why I don't get invited to the Northside gym opening. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, the, Help uh, the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah you, the, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, I'm flattered that they help the neighborhood, and they're doing something, but, you know, it's, yep. you know, there's other things that need to be done as well that are maybe more serious than a basketball court. So, yes. Well, yeah, there's no question about that. And I will tell you, I'll give you an example. I can't stand Al Franken. 
I did say I don't think he should have lost his job for what they accused him of. I don't think he should have been kicked out of the Senate, even though I can't stand the man. He's an arrogant little prick. But if he called me and said, hey, Tom, I'd like to help out, he'd go, absolutely, Al. I'd, I'd appreciate your help. Just because just I don't care for the guy at all doesn't mean I'd turn him away from helping people who need help. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense because that's the kind of person you really are. Stupid. That's the kind of person you are. You well, want to you want to get this job done, and let's try to work together to get this job. You, you know, you know, Al Franken. You don't you don't care for him. There's a lot of things you don't like about him. But if he's trying to reach yeah. out and help a community, you're there. Well, yeah, you're a good guy for that. In a minute, and that's a good people. Yep. Yeah, in a minute. We'll do it in a minute. Sounds great. We'll take a break. Be right back. Another special guest coming up next with the family. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Um, Andrew? Yeah? Our guest just called Mom's Cell Phone. That's a little <laughs> so, odd. Ah, there um, he is. Oh, you got him calling in now? I believe so. I like it. That works for me. I just wanted to make sure that uh, Austin was taken care of. Austin Cleon, is that how you say the name? Is Austin with us? Yes. Austin. Hi, Hi Tom. How you doing, Austin? Hey, this how is actually things? Matthew. Can you hear me? Matthew. You sound great, Matthew. What's the latest? <laughs> Not too much. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and see if they're all set for you. Give me one second here. Terrific. Thanks, Matthew. Ah. Uh. Our special guest, Austin Kleon, uh, promoting the book Keep Going, Ten Ways to Stay Creative in Good Times and Bad. In his previous books, Steal Like an Artist and Show Your Work, both New York Times bestsellers, Austin Kleon gave readers the uh, keys to unlock their creativity and showed them how to become known. Now he offers his most inspiring work yet with ten simple rules for how to stay creative, focused, and true to yourself for life. Austin, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Tom? We're doing extremely well. Matthew did a good job, by the way. We, we, uh, for some reason, you were uh, Matthew was given my wife's cell phone number, but everything worked out, and now you're on the show, and I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fired. Hey, it works out, right? I'm glad I'm, I answered the phone. Hey, however we got here is good. That's the way exactly. I. Austin, I got to, I got to tell you, you sound like you're about 15 years old. How old are you? Ballpark. Oh yeah. I'm 35. No, you sound very young, which is, hey, 35 is plenty young anyway. Uh, So, yeah, keep going. Ten ways to stay creative in good times and bad. What's it all about, Austin? Uh, This book is a kind of pep talk for people who are feeling like they're having trouble kind of staying on their path with their work. Uh, It's a list of, you know, ten things that I think will, um, it, it was really a book that I needed to read, so I had to write it. A couple of years ago, I had felt like the world was too crazy and art was too hard, and I didn't really want to do it anymore. And I kind of went away for a while and studied some other artists that came before me and thought about my own practice and turned it into these Ten Commandments for myself. And 
now I'm putting it out there so it can help other readers. See, I think it's a great idea, and I love where it came from. I think the fact that it came from you and the way you felt about things, the way you felt about uh, art and writing and all the rest of it, and the fact that you needed some help, you went and found the help, and now you want to help others. I think that's terrific. That's kind of the way I go about my work. Like, my books aren't about me, like, having all this knowledge and wanting to impart it to readers. It's really about, hey, I've been struggling with the same stuff that you're struggling with. Here's what I found out so far. It's almost like sort of being a fellow student than a teacher. You know, I always, I'm, I'm like, hey, you can look over my shoulder. Like, here are the answers I came up with. Now, Austin, were there things going on in the world or things going on in your life, or was it all things that kind of just uh, came together and you went, you know, I just don't feel the same as I did about writing and drawing and all the rest of it. What, was it the world? What was happening? Because the world is a very odd place right now. The United States is a, is a really odd place because if you watch television, you'd think everybody hates everybody else. And, and that everyone's a liar. And everyone's a liar. Uh, did that take its toll on you? The, the whole political, and I, I'm just ta- not just talking about, you know, the the Democrats and the Republicans. I'm ta- just talking about how political life has gotten. Is that really hard for an artist? Well, I think that the world, I think it really has become more distracting. And I think the thing that yes. has happened is the world is pretty much the same as it has always been, but now it's in your face all the time. I mean, and I think a lot of these platforms that we jumped onto you know, Twitter, Facebook, places like that, we, we kind of signed on to these things thinking that they were going to connect us to each other. And really what they've done is they've disconnected us from each other and they've disconnected us from ourselves. And, you know, it's coming to, the, it's coming to our knowledge that these tools have really been built in, to make us upset and to make us agitated and to make us addicted because when we're upset and we're agitated we spend more time on the machine and we spend more time hooked up to it and these companies make more money and so i think right. it really is a real problem that we're facing right now and i think it's particularly hard for artists because artists have always required a kind of disconnection from the world you know artists are deeply connected to the world because they're trying to get inspired and they're trying to find inspiration sure. but then there's a disconnection that has to happen in order to actually do your work and to actually come up with your own ideas and i think that's awesome. what everyone in every kind of work is facing right now no, I think you're absolutely right about that, and it didn't help yesterday when one of the headlines on all the major news outlets delivered the line, Mark Zuckerberg says, you need to regulate me. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> he actually said that, Austin. I'm not kidding. He actually mm. said, you need to regulate me. Uh, okay, well, but uh, yeah, that's kind of your job. I think sometimes your when job. people tell <laughs> Well, I, I'm always a fan of Oprah's saying that when people show you who they are, believe them. <laughs> I liked it. No, that's, that, that is a great uh, quote. You're absolutely right. I don't know. So yeah. um, I mean, Mark I, Zuckerberg I, knows what he's done. He doesn't yeah. know what to do what next. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. Well, you may be right about that, but I do like your take on the whole situation that that it is very, very intrusive, and people do take advantage of it. People are not their true selves on digital. Uh they think that's their true self there, but it's not. Everybody's a lot bolder and tougher, and everybody, you know, has these great uh, statements to make, and they don't care who they harm. We didn't have to use – well, you, you said you're 35. When I was 35, I didn't have to deal with that, Austin. I didn't have to deal with that at all because it didn't exist. So, yeah, people your age uh, – our son Andy is on the show. He's 32 years old. And you guys deal with things that I never had to deal with as a 32, 35-year-old man. I didn't have to, right? Well, I think one of the things that my, you know, my reading and stuff has shown me is that, you know, the world has always been difficult, and it's always been hard yeah. as, a, as a creative person or someone trying to just, you know, live a life. I mean, Henry David Thoreau used to complain about reading a weekly newspaper because he felt like it was taking him, you know, away yeah. from his daily life. And now I'm sitting here thinking a, daily, a weekly newspaper seems about the right amount of, of news <laughs> yeah. to digest, you know, in a week. Um, yes. And so it's, uh, it's interesting how, you know, things change, but they stay the same. And I, I think that's why I like reading old books. I think that, you know, reading old books really takes you out of it's a great time machine and it can take you away from this endless spew 
of news that's going on right now, and it, it gives you perspective on your life. Yeah, I think it is good. Uh, how much reading do you do, Austin? Uh, is there any specific amount? Do, uh, do you come and go as far as reading a lot is concerned, or, or are you a pretty consistent reader? Well, reading is part of my job, so I wouldn't want to put. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, I would always want to put the the uh, that caveat at the beginning. Um, I probably spend two hours a day reading, um, which I think probably sounds like a lot to some people, but uh, like I said, it's part of my job and. You'd be surprised, like if you, you know, go to bed early and grab a book. How much, how much you can get read in a week? Yeah, I, that would make t- uh, totally uh, total sense. Now, you actually do live in Austin, Texas. Is that correct? I do. Yeah, because the only reason, I, because I was reading this, and it says AustinCleon.com. Uh, and it says it right after mm-hmm. the fact that it says that you live in Austin, Texas. I'm like. Man, that works for me. Um, Austin, Texas is, got, is a pretty, really, really good place to be an artist, though, isn't it? I mean, writer, uh, an artist, whatever. Austin, Texas is a very, very cool town, I think. I, that's, I assume, why you Austin live there. Austin's a very, yeah, it's a very livable place. I've lived here about 12 years, and it's, uh, um, you know, I think it's getting increasingly harder to be a creative person here just because the rent's so high. Um, but that's the problem with nice places, is everyone wants to live there. So, um, you know, but yeah, Austin's a great place. I think Austin is, um, the thing I like about Austin is it doesn't get too big of a head on its shoulders. I think a lot of the artists here are humble and hardworking, and particularly the ones that I know. And there's a kind of individualist streak here where people kind of, they stay quiet and they do their work. And, um... It, it, yeah, it's a good place to be. I like it. I do, I do love this from uh, from the bio. The creative life is not a linear journey to a finish line. It's a loop. So find a daily routine because today is the only day that matters. Disconnect from the world to connect with yourself. You know, I'm old enough, Austin, to have a 32-year-old son. So at ballpark, you can tell how old I am. I have to think about I have to remind myself that this part of my life that I need to live life one day at a time. Do, do all people go through that? Do you as a 35-year-old man, do you have to remind yourself to live your day uh, like it's your whole life, that, that you should live one day at a time? It's very, very good advice. I think, you know, I think that uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I think, of course, yeah, I, I think that, um, I think that the great philosophers taught that living is really learning how to die. And I think we're a culture that we don't really think about our own mortality very much. I mean, a lot of the mm-hmm. products that are sold to us are all about delaying our mortality and delaying our aging and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, a healthy life is when, one in which you acknowledge that it won't be around forever. And so you do try to seize your days. You try to fill them as best as you can. And you do live one day at a time and take each one as a gift. That's just kind of ancient wisdom that I think we mm-hmm. kind of lost. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Austin, uh, you talk about ten simple rules for how to stay creative, focused, and true to yourself for life. Uh, how did you come up with the ten simple rules? Are, are they rules from other sources you brought together? Are they your ten rules on how to stay creative, focused? What are the ten rules? I mean, you don't have to go through the whole package, but how did you arrive at, uh, at the ten simple rules? Um, a lot of the rules are things that I stole from other artists and thinkers and writers I, through my reading, because reading is a big part of my life. And then the other mm-hmm. parts were from, you know, acquaintances and friends and my own practice. It's kind of a tapestry of things read and lived, and that's kind of how these books come together for me. It's uh, people who came before me and then people who are around me and then the person I guess I am. Uh, is there one of the ten rules, or maybe one or two or three of the ten rules that are really most important to you as a person? Personally, I like the penultimate one, number nine, which is uh, Demons Hate Fresh Air. Uh, this is something that the film director, yeah. Ingmar Bergman, said to his, uh, his daughter. He said, when you get up in the morning, you should go for a walk as soon as you can, because... Every ner- all the nervous energy you build up, all the demons that you have, they hate the fresh air, and they hate you being outside. And then you can come back in after you've uh, kind of warned them off, and, and you can get to your work. And 
I think a daily walk or walking as much as you can, I think that disconnects you just enough uh, from the machines and everything, and it gets you out into the real world, and you use your own five senses, and you think your own thoughts, and you bump into neighbors and things on the street, and it's the best way to kind of live your life in a, a deliberate manner, I think. So I've, I like to recommend people take a lot of walks. You know, it's interesting because when I, where I grew up, the Italian men, the, the old Italian men in my neighborhood where I grew up would always say, you cannot think clearly unless you go for an, a walk after dinner every night. They, they absolutely believed what you just said, that they needed to get out there and maybe it was shaking their demons or whatever it was. But that, you know, getting that fresh air, going for a walk and a little exercise, they, they basically called it getting their head straight. But it's basically what you're saying today on this show, that you you need to get out there yeah, and move around and, and get your head straight. It's ancient wisdom. You know, the Greek philosophers, they thought to walk is to think. And that, that's just, uh, you know, it's, it's ancient wisdom, again, that we've lost. It is indeed. Well, it sounds like you're, uh, your background, you're a very clear-thinking guy. I mean, you're 35, so you've, you know, you've lived, uh, uh, well, I don't want to say half your life, Austin, because hopefully you live past 100 at this point. But, you know, you've lived 35 strong years. Did you have a lot of influence from your mother, your father, other family members to be such a, a clear thinker? Uh, my, I had great, great parents uh, to become an artist. I had a mother who right. told me I could do anything and a father who said, prove it. And, uh, <laughs> and that together. I love that. <laughs> you know, I had great parents, and I, I hit what uh, I hit what Warren Buffett calls the ovarian lottery. You know, I I, yep. I got really lucky with my parents, and, and I think that if you have two reasonably, or, or you know, if you have a reasonably intelligent person that loves you to raise you, that's that's half the battle in this life. You you got a good head start. Well, you're a good man, ladies and gentlemen. Keep going. Ten ways to stay creative in good times and bad. Austin Kleon, it's K-L-E-O-N. The book is available everywhere, certainly on Amazon. Austin, you're very clear. And by the way, your parents, I'm sure, are very, very happy that you turned out the way you did and that you do understand that they were good parents. So that's, that's a great start. Austin, thanks for your time today, sir. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Austin Cleon, ladies and gentlemen, keep going. Ten ways to stay creative in good times and bad. And we will talk to you tomorrow with the family.